believe next Sunday we have um, a potluck right after the service. So uh, a chili potluck. How many are bringing chili to this? Would you raise your hand? Several have volunteered already with different kinds of chili. Good, there's some. Good, 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 good. It's going to be a great time. And uh, uh, Pastor Laura, do you have an announcement for us regarding the women's Bible study coming up? Can you give us some information on that? that I'm missing that we need to pay attention to announcement-wise? Okay. Well, you can be praying for our transition team and our board uh, this coming week. We will be meeting with our district superintendent, Dr. Phil Stevenson, uh, and he will be uh, seeing where we are in our process of transition and offering whatever help uh, that he can offer uh, he's, a, he's a real man of God, and we are very privileged to have his leadership in our district, and uh, uh, it's going to be a great time with him. Would you pray for the transition team and the board as we are doing God's business and looking forward to what the Lord has for us as a church here in the not-too-distant future? <coughs> well, the last few weeks we have been examining this treasure chest, if you will, called holiness, that God is holding out to every one of us. Uh, the question is, how do we get there? How do we open that treasure chest? How, how do we become holy? Well, God has commanded us to be holy, then it must be possible, not just in heaven, but here and now. We're going to be, next time we're together, we're going to be stepping into some very practical, I hope, encouraging and equipping uh, ways that you and I can really enter in, intentionally enter into this intimate, holy relationship with the God who loves us and who has saved us through Jesus. To prepare ourselves for that, we've, uh, we've had to look at some very important definitions. Last week, you'll recall that uh, uh, we were dealing with the issue of what is sin, really? What is sin? We talked about the general definition of sin, that word, that Greek word hamartia, uh, archery term literally means anything outside of the bullseye. Anything less than absolutely perfect is hamartia, that's sin. But that's not really helpful because that's our condition right now. Uh, we, we focused it in. Really, Scripture focuses our understanding of sin uh, for us. Jesus' half-brother James in James chapter 4 verse 17. He, he gives us a much more helpful, much more focused definition of sin. Uh, John Wesley kind of paraphrased uh, James's words. Uh, James said, to him who knows to do the right thing and chooses not to do it, to him it is sin. Wesley kind of distilled that down and said, sin 
is the voluntary transgression of a known law. In other words, we know what the right thing is to do, and we choose not to do it. That's sin. And that's the kind of sin that really drives a wedge between God and us in our relationship with Him. So how do we get there? How do we become holy? We're, we're, we're going to start really addressing specifics of that, of that next week. But I, I want to deal today with two more. I, 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 I know this at times feels like a theology course. And in some ways it is. And uh, I am trusting you with uh, some definitions that you may never have thought about before. You may have heard them, but they, they didn't make a lot of sense to you. But I think uh, the words themselves, even though we may have never heard them, we don't know what their, their, their meaning is, we have to deal with them, the ramifications of these in Scripture. And today we're going to look at two that theologically they're called uh, imputed love and imparted love. Don't check out on me, okay? Let's stay together here because this is so important for us. Both of these are what God is desiring to do for us. He is making them available to us. Uh, imputed righteousness or holiness and imparted righteousness or holiness. Let's start with the imputed. Think of the... the center three letters of that word put imputed righteousness or holiness to be imputed something is to be declared to be something it's like putting a label on you by a higher authority it, it's declaring you to be something that you have not been up to that point and which you do not deserve to be now let me try and put a little flesh on this. I heard a story. Uh, a gentleman came to faith in Christ uh, through uh, through the Catholic Church and uh, went step went through all of the steps to uh, officially become a member of the Catholic Church. And on that day that uh, the ceremony was to take place, he was so excited and he came before the priest and the priest uh, uh, did the liturgy for him and then made a statement and the statement was sort of like this he said all of your life you have been a sinner today you are a catholic <laughs> now this was very important life-changing to him his, his Faith in Christ and his trust in the church were being recognized. And so he said, I've got to celebrate somehow. So he decided to throw a party, a barbecue at his house in his backyard that Friday night. And he invited as many of his Catholic friends as, as would come. And uh, they came and, and uh, he's, as they're gathering, he's putting the steaks on the barbecue. And one of his Catholic buddies comes up to him and says, uh, Brother, uh, you're Catholic now. Aren't you aware that we don't do meat on Fridays? We do fish. Oh. And uh, 
He said, oh, I, I, I really wasn't aware. He's taking this very seriously. So he goes over to the barbecue, lifts up the lid, and he looks at the steak, and he says, all of your life you have been a cow. Today you are a fish. <laughs> that is imputing. Okay, that that meat was imputed fishhood, if you will. Okay? Imputed righteousness or holiness is something that we are declared to be even though by a higher authority, even though we really aren't there at, that, at this point. Another theological term that describes this imputed reality is the term called justification. Have you heard that term? If you were in Sunday school as a kid, uh, your Sunday school teacher, if this word ever came up, probably taught you a very handy definition of, of justification. Do you remember what it was? Uh -huh. To be justified is to be made just as if you had never sinned. Okay, do you remember that? It's very accurate. It's exactly what happens, what God does for us when we place our faith in Jesus. Uh, Romans chapter 3 verse 22 says, We are made right or justified with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Let me read uh, an extended portion here for you. This is from Romans chapter 3. I'm going to begin with verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, and, and uh, but just follow along as I read. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God with undeserved kindness declares, this is, this is the imputed part, he imputes to us, he declares that we are righteous. We're not righteous yet. Okay? We're, we're, we're just forgiven sinners. That's all we are at this point. But he imputes, he puts on us the righteousness of Jesus, if you will. He did this through, through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. Let me jump down to verse uh, 26. Um, Let's see. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. He declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. This is imputed righteousness, if you will. God the judge, justification is a, is a, it's a courtroom term, it's a legal term. And it's describing a courtroom scene where I come before the judge who is God. And God declares me to be something I am not. He be, declares me to be just as if I had never sinned. Wow. 
That, that is amazing. Again, let me put some flesh on it for you. We have three kids. You're aware of that. Um, our youngest is uh, a girl. We had no idea what parenting was until we had our daughter. We had two sons before. Sons are a piece of cake compared to daughters. Piece of cake. Our daughter is strong-willed. Now, that is an understatement. To give you an idea, when she was, I think, three years old, well, let me back all the way. For the first six months of her life, all she did was cry. She did not like to be in this world. It's much better than mommy's tummy, all right? You get out here, and it, uh, I, we don't know all the reasons she cried, but she cried until, for six months, she cried until she found her thumb. <laughs> Raising our boys, you know, we were very idealistic. We don't want our boy, we don't want our children sucking their thumb. And they did. Tammy, when she found her thumb and shut up, praise God for Give you an idea how strong-willed Tammy is. She sucked her thumb for three years. We really didn't want her to go beyond that, and Connie, when she took her to the pediatrician for the doctor's appointment, the doctor told uh, Connie that uh, she really needs to stop sucking her thumb when she's three years old, or it's gonna deform her palate. Okay, Connie went home and told that to Tammy, honey. Now, this was just days before her third birthday. Honey, when you turn three, I really want you to stop sucking your thumb. Because if you don't, it's going to hurt your teeth, it's going to hurt all that. She sucked her thumb like it was, I mean, like she'd never see it again for the next <laughs> two or three days. And on the night before her third birthday, we put her in bed and we prayed for her as we always did. And we noticed that she had her arm like this down beside her, the thumb that she sucked. And it was straight down along her thigh. She refused to even go to sleep that night with her, her thumb, sucking her thumb. She never sucked her thumb again. Wow. If you have ever tried to break a kid of sucking their thumb, it gives you an idea how strong a will this kid has. When we saw that happen, we kind of backed off and said, thank you, Lord, but it scares me to death what we're in for. Fast forward. Tammy is, uh, oh, it was her senior year of high school, I think. She got into a relationship with a really neat kid, a Christian kid. And uh, they decided they were in love. And uh, uh, I won't give you all the details, but in my spirit, I could tell that it really wasn't love. They had a very strong friendship and they commiserated. They enjoyed commiserating together. Mm -hmm. But that was really it. Every time she'd be on, I could tell when she was talking with Gabe her boyfriend on the phone because her voice would 
go down, she'd get very quiet. She'd even physically slump down <laughs> as she was speaking to him. And uh, there are a lot of other reasons. That I, I really didn't sense that she was truly, that they were truly in love. But their relationship grew, and it was getting to the point where uh, actually they were looking at marriage. And uh, by then she had gone away to school, back to Indiana Wesleyan College back in Marion, Indiana. And uh, my, my spirit was just really troubled because I didn't sense this was a healthy relationship, but I knew if I confronted her about it, that it would just, her strong will would raise up and all my grief. So I decided to do something that I've rarely done. I generally, I, I prefer when there is an issue, you talk about it, you don't write a letter about it. But in this situation, I chose to write a letter because she was way away from home. If I would have tried to do this over the phone, then she could have just instantly shut me out, not heard a word I had to say. And so I, I put it in paper, on paper. And I told her what I've told you and quite a bit more. Uh, trying to help her see from my perspective, I really didn't think she was in love, that they were in love. And I said, uh, now that I've said that, I'm going to ask something very unfair of you, Tammy. I'm going to ask you to never tell Gabe what I have just written to you. Because if you choose to marry him, I will choose to love him like one of my own sons. I will hold nothing back. I will not only support you 100%, but he will be my son. And if he reads what I've just read to you, that'll poison our relationship. She didn't share it with him. Apparently she read it. <laughs> Probably put it down the first time and said it. <laughs> wanted to throw it away, but she didn't. Went back and read it. I still have the letter in my files. And, uh, their relationship ended, and she's married today to a wonderful Christian guy, three kids. But I, I told Tammy, basically, in terminology that we're using today, I will impute to Gabe sonship, my sonship. He will be my son. I will love him as such. You hadn't earned it? You see what imputing is? Okay. So that's that's imputing. Imputed righteousness or holiness. Justification. I don't deserve it, but by faith I accept it. What an amazing God we have. This is what wants to do for us. But please don't stop there. God doesn't stop there. God doesn't want to just impute righteousness or holiness to us. He doesn't want to just impute 
this relationship with himself, with us. He wants to impart it. When something is imparted to me, it is given to me to own, to experience, to become. When holiness is imparted to me, I'm not just called holy, not just given the label of holy, I start becoming holy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. This is imparted holiness. God doesn't want to just call us holy. He wants to make us holy. Today, not just in heaven. (coughs) I want to introduce to you a family that Connie and I met in our first TIPS assignment in Northeast Washington State. The Neff family. Eric and Jen were dad and mom, and uh, they had uh, a son in the family who was from uh, a previous relationship with Jen's. She was his birth mother. And then they had a little girl uh, that was their child together. We had the privilege of watching them and working with them, actually, through a lot of the pitfalls of uh, a blended family situation. When Eric and Jen were married, the title of father was imputed to Eric regarding Max, Jen's son. Technically, Eric became liable for, responsible for, the father of this young boy. He was imputed fatherhood, if you will. What we had the privilege of watching was how Eric and Max's relationship blossomed. It was really cool. Eric almost worshipped, or Max almost worshipped his stepdad, uh, Eric, to the point where this happened after we had left, gone on to another assignment, but we have kept track of each other through Facebook. And Eric uh, private messaged me, actually, when this happened. And he said, Pastor John, So I was with Max the other day, and he's now a young teenager, okay? He said, Max asked me to adopt him. (laughs) Is that sending chills up and down your back? Wow. 
make me officially yours. I, I, I don't want you to just be my legal dad. I, that's what God wants to impart to you and me. He doesn't want you and me to just have the label Christian put on us because we have a relationship with Jesus by faith. He wants to impart to us. <laughs> Isn't it significant that uh, one of the things that God does for us scripturally when we come into his family is he adopts us. I'm gonna, do any of you have adopted children? Or are you adopted? Okay. When, when, when a child is adopted, uh, the, there are so many forces at play, of course. But, but one of the realities is you know you're chosen. I wouldn't adopt you if I didn't want you. And on the other side, when a son asks to be adopted by his stepdad, I want your last name, you see. That's imparted relationship, okay? And that's what that, that's the kind of holiness that God wants you and me to experience. Not just the label, not just the, the label put on us, but the reality imparted to us. Is that what you want? Let's pray. Father, again, when we think of this, this thing of holiness that you, you've told us again and again that <laughs> this is your will for us. You desperately want us to be in this kind of intimate, no holds barred relationship with you. Thank you for imputing to us righteousness, holiness, declaring us to be clean, declaring us to be just as if we had never sinned. That boggles our minds because we certainly don't deserve that. But it's very clear that that's what you do for us at the moment, at the instant that we say yes to your offer of forgiveness in Jesus. You impute righteousness, holiness, justification to us. Generally, the imparting is much more of a process. And it's usually subsequent, somewhere down the road in our relationship with you. As we get to the point in our relationship with you, just like Max got with Eric, would you adopt me? I, I want your last name. Holy Spirit, would you help each one of us to want that so desperately? That, that we open ourselves up to everything that you have for us. Oh, you're an amazing God. Holy Spirit, would you continue to woo us, make us hunger and thirst for this level of intimacy with you.
in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat>
Grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 